Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out this morning and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 today. That's where we're going to use uh, our primary text this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I want to mention last week, if you missed the message last week, you missed a great message by Pastor Caleb. He did an awesome job preaching the Word. Uh, All of our messages are on our podcast. You can go to our website and uh, you can... Find all of those there and listen to anything that you miss uh, through the past weeks. And uh, the entire series, uh, Empowered, is on there. And so I'd encourage you, if you missed last week, to make sure you get that and listen. That was one of the... uh, It was a great message, a hilarious message, and a fun message. And it was just so good. And so Pastor Caleb, we always appreciate him. He's just a great preacher. And so make sure you pick that up. Today we're continuing our series, Empowered. And our series text is found in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5. mirrors what Pastor Caleb said right at the end of worship. It says this, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. I said also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with much assurance. This morning I want to preach to you, Empowered to Choose. Empowered to Choose. I want to talk to you today, preach to you on choosing correctly between the tensions of life in the Spirit and the life in the flesh, choosing between uh, the correctly, between the two tensions of living in the life in the spirit, uh, a life in the flesh. How do I operate by choosing correctly in those moments of tension that allow me to really advance my life and become the person that God has asked me to come? Will you help me to pray this morning? Father, I thank you for the anointing that's in the room today. I pray that God, every heart and every mind and every ear in the place would be tuned in to what you're speaking and saying this morning. I pray that God we would come out of this place ready to serve, ready to work, ready to do what you've called us and asked us to do. That Father we would pledge all that we have to your kingdom and its purposes. Father I ask that Lord you would anoint me this morning to preach the word of God you've put on my heart. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before I get into the main part of the message this morning I want to take some time today and I just want to talk to you about where I feel we are as a church and I feel where I feel like the Lord is probably taking us as a church. And what I'd like to do with your permission uh, is be a little transparent and honest with you if you'll allow me to do that this morning. And so without coming across uh, super spiritual or coming across spooky or coming across anything of that nature, I just think that we are truly engaged in a real spiritual war that is taking place on behalf of this community. Uh, on behalf of the communities in the surrounding region, not just Burke, but also in Duval and also in Granfield, also in Randallette, where, where God is helping us to gain influence and begin to move our church in such a way, even in the, the areas of Wichita Falls, that God is working uh, through the river to, to reach those areas. And I do believe that we are in a serious spiritual war over the community. I believe that every church in every community needs to discover where darkness has a hold and where darkness has to be rolled back so that the light of Christ can impact the city and begin to do the work that God has called it to do. 
We understand. I think everybody in the room understands that we are in a battle with darkness over lives, souls, over the community. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is the reality that we face as part of the kingdom of God established and establishing on this earth. Is that we are at war against spiritual darkness that has set up residence in the communities in which we live. And so when I refer to darkness, and I, uh, when I say the word darkness, what I'm referring to, understand that I'm speaking about the spiritual enemies that, that we are facing. And there are, there are many spiritual enemies that we face as we read in Ephesians 6 and 12. Pastor or Tim Ware, who is a minister in the North Texas District, who has been a coach to this church and who has helped us in a number of ways. The other day we were speaking and just talking about the church and about where we are and where we're going. And I was just getting his input on some different issues and things that we're challenges that we're facing. And he said that there's just places in the district, there's just places where darkness seems to have a hold and has had a hold for many years. And he said, when I come into Burt Burnett and I come into this region, I kind of feel that. And he says, unless we're willing to address those areas and deal with those areas, we're not going to see the advancement that really we have the skill set, the ability, the, the facilities, the resources to see happen because darkness kind of has a lid on on the overall function of the church. And I agree with that. I think one evidence of we, that we see... Is this okay if I just kind of talk to you as a pastor here for a few minutes? Okay. One of the evidences of this that I see is in our ministry staff and even in our leadership team. And so if you're a part of our staff or leadership team, I want you to listen for a minute really closely. But even if you're not, I want you to listen in, because I have a task for you as well. I think that what we see is there's a great pressure that is put on the leadership team of this church by darkness when they step into those leadership roles. When they, when they take the step, they take the step of faith and they say, Pastor, I'm willing to do what I feel like God's calling to me to do and I'm going to step into that leadership role and I'm going to begin to release my gifts and talents back into the church. What happens to them oftentimes is there is a tremendous amount of pressure that comes upon them because of darkness, because of the enemy, because he wants to discourage and defeat them. He wants to keep them. We know that nothing happens without leadership, right? I mean, if there's no leadership, there's no advancement. If there's no leadership, there's no facilitation. There's none of that happening without leadership. And so the enemy knows that if he can take out leadership, he cuts the legs out from under the church and he really limits the ability for the church to advance. And so what we have is a lot of times people that are not conditioned for that They've not conditioned themselves to first recognize what is going on, that I actually, it's not pressure because of any other reason other than I'm doing what God's called me to do and the enemy doesn't like that. And, and if you don't understand that and if you don't recognize where the pressure's coming from and why the pressure's there, what you'll do is you'll retreat rather than advance. When, when pressure's coming at you, the first thing we want to do, if somebody's pushing on you, the first thing you want to do is get away so they're not pushing on you anymore. When you got pressure of circumstances pushing on you, the, what you want to do is you want to retreat to a place of comfort and you want to get out from under the pressure. But what we have to understand in the leadership capacity is when we start to feel pressure, that's not a time to step back. That's time to step forward. You got to step into pressure. You got to step into the battle a little bit. And so if you don't understand that, then what you do is you retreat. 
The second thing that we, we, we have to understand is that oftentimes we don't have the resolve to really weather it. I'm determined that I'm going on the other side of this. I'm not going to let it push me into retreat. I'm not going to let it push me back, but I'm going to go on to the other side of that. I am determined. The determination, the understanding, and the determination, those two pieces are, are critical or ultimately will succumb to the pressure that we feel. And so what I want to say to all the leaders in the room is that when you feel that pressure, know that you're, that's a sign that you're doing what you're called to do. You're doing exactly what God's positioned you to do. And, and the way to get past that is to press into it and push through it because on the other side of it, there's a, a new level for you. There's a new place of elevation for you. There's a new place that God's trying to take you. For everybody else in the room, I'm asking you to pray for our leadership. I'm asking you to really cover them with the Spirit of God in prayer the blood of Jesus Christ in prayer and ask God to sure them up, strengthen them and help them to stay steady and faithful in those places. And so there's a real issue. We understand there's a real issue that must be dealt with. And there's other places that I could talk about, but for time's sake I won't. I just want you to understand that it is the duty and it is the spiritual responsibility of the church to deal with darkness. The church is the agent of change. The church is not an agent of change. It is the agent of change. Nothing changes in this world. Nothing changes in, in the atmosphere of, of this world unless the church operates as that agent of change. The Holy Spirit does not work except through what? The church. And He chooses to work through you and me. And if we don't change, if we don't become those agents of change, nothing happens, nothing takes place. And so it's the church's duty, it's the church's responsibility to deal with darkness. It's our spiritual mandate from heaven. To go where darkness is and to drive that darkness out. And so that is our job in Burt Burnett, in Duval, in Granfield, in Wichita Falls, in Iowa Park, in the surrounding region here, it is our job to do those things in Randallette and the other towns around our area. God has placed us here. God has placed you here. You got, I want you to believe that today. I want you to know that. I want you to live with that understanding and I want you to live with that mindset that God has placed me here. He sent me to the river. He sent me to this town. He sent me to be a part of what's going on right here in this moment. God has placed us here in this time to do just that, to drive out darkness. And I believe that we have the ability to do it. I believe we have the resources to do it, the skill set to do it. We have everything that we need to do it. We just need to activate. We just have to engage. Over the years, God has spoken since we've been here, about seven years, a little over seven years now. God has spoken a few ministry directing words to me over the past seven years as pastor of this church that have really set the tone for our ministry here and, and the direction for our ministry in this church here. Two things that I want to point out this morning that are important to note in that vein is that first he told me to look at Joshua and look at what he said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 6 verse 2. And it says this, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. I remember to this, it's like it happened last night. 
God woke me up two or three years ago and he told me to get out and start driving. So I got in my truck. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning. Nobody's out. And, and as I walked out to get in my truck, I remember the words of the Lord very clearly. And he said, look up because I have given this city into your hands. That is the word of the Lord that I'm going to hold on to. I'm not letting it go. But he wasn't giving it to me personally. He was giving it to the church. You are part. God has given this city into your hands. It is ours for the taking. And every city that we live in, every place that we call home, God has given that into our hands. That is the word of the Lord. The second thing that He said to us as a church that is important, and we had it said last week again, that as we advance forward, as we move in the presence of God, as we walk with Him, that He would cause the ground to rise up and meet our feet. He's going to come through as we walk in faith toward what God has called us to do. He said, I've given you this city, and I'm telling you that if you'll take steps to accomplish this, and if you'll take steps to take this city for me, then every time you take a step, I'm going to cause the ground to rise right up under your feet, and it's going to meet you where you walk. It's going to be there for you. Every resource, everything you need, every opportunity that needs to be open to you, it is available to you if you walk with me. Promise is always predicated on our obedience. It's always predicated on our obedience. We've got to do what God asks us to do and then His promise will come into fruition. So these two things that I want to talk to you about that I'm saying to you this morning, they have to drive our activity. They have to drive our direction. They have to be our motivation. This is our city. I said, this is our city. Mm-mm. Yeah, I don't believe you. I said, this is our city. I, I don't, I'm not, it's not the enemy's city. This is our city. He doesn't have the right to ravage families in this city. He doesn't have any place to do that. He doesn't have the right to destroy marriages in our city. He doesn't have the right to keep people addicted to drugs in our city. He doesn't have the right to keep people on alcohol in our city. He doesn't have the right to mess up families in our city. Let me just preach to you just for a second. He doesn't have the right to bankrupt people because they're bound to the casino across the road in our city. I said God wants to to set some people free, but it takes a church. It takes a church this morning. It takes a church to make a difference. And that's what God has placed us here for. It doesn't belong to darkness. This city belongs to us. And as we move, God will cause the resources, the path, the opportunities, all to rise up and connect with us in the way. So what's it going to take for us to be the people Now we're going to get down to us this morning. What is it going to take for us to be the people that sees the promise come to pass? Joshua, I think, is a model for us. I feel like it's been a model for us from the time we came as pastors. I've used the transitional place of going from Egypt to the wilderness to the promised land so many times to correlate to where we are. And I just, I can't get away from that because the story of transformation of the children of Israel from being Egyptian slaves to being able to conquer the promised land is that model for us too. It's one that speaks to us. It's one that directs our path. It directs our mission. It directs our ministry. It directs our activity. And I just think that there is a shift that is taking place in this church and 
it's not enough for the shift to start happening. The shift has to be completed. It has, we have to go all the way with that thing. We just can't be content to see some things start to move and some things start to happen. I want to see some things finished. I want to see some things accomplished. I want to see some things done. I, I'm, I'm just weird about checklists. I'm sorry. But i got to check some things off that God's promised me along the way. I don't want to just have them on a running list of things that I'm to accomplish. I want to see them done. So what's it going to take for us this morning? To be the people that sees the promise come to pass. Where I see us in our journey here is I think that we've been delivered from Egyptian bondage. I'm glad I'm set free this morning, are you? We're no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves. But I don't believe that we're living in the promised land either. And although we're not slaves, we're also not promised land possessors yet. And so that means that we're somewhere in the middle. And so some of us still wandering a little bit, all of us maybe perhaps still wandering a little bit in the wilderness. And I think that that place is a place where we haven't really realized our full potential yet. We haven't really come to understand our full scope of influence. We haven't really come to understand the power and the presence of God that operates in us and through us. And so it's that wandering in the wilderness that I find that it seems to fit uh, where we are in our journey. We have to become the people God has put us here to be. We have to become the people that God has put us here to be. He sent us to this place for an assignment. For us to fulfill the assignment, we have to become the people that God has called us to be. I was talking with Pastor Caleb this week and I told him, I said, it's the way of leadership is that God always promotes us to a place that we're not equipped to handle. He always promotes us to a level of incompetency where I I just get thrown into something and I'm really not competent enough to handle it initially. And so it requires me and demands of me that I trust Him, that I grow, that I develop, that I become more. And ultimately when I finally get to the place where I am competent enough to handle this position, guess what happens? It's time for promotion again and God does the whole cycle over again. Because He always wants us to depend on Him and He's always growing us in the process. That's the process of faith development. And so... We're talking about growing and developing and becoming more. Our city depends on us becoming the people that God put us here to be. We can't possess the promised land as wilderness wanderers. Only a soldier can possess the land. So here's the word today. We have to become battle-ready, battle-hardened people if we're going to be able to accomplish the work of God in this place, in this city. And here's what I believe, that you are those people. I believe you are those people. Your your silence speaks volumes. You, You may not know it yet. You may not even believe it yet. And I think there's probably some of you in this place that doesn't like it yet. But I'm telling you this morning that you are those people. God believes that you are capable of being the very people that march on this city and change the lives of people. God believes in you so much that He saved you for this time in history and He planted you in this place right now and He said, I'm going to equip them. I'm going to gift them. I'm going to put them in the right place and then I'm going to release them on a city that's going to be transformed and changed by the power of God. You are those people this morning. 
goodness gracious, you guys are killing me this morning. I'm preaching better than you're clapping and getting with me. I'm preaching better than you're listening, I promise. Go back and listen to it later and you'll agree with me. You are those people, I have no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And so there's got to be a shift that takes place. The military calls those shifts evolution. I've been watching this show, The Selection. It's so good. Just seeing how these people grow in their capacity. Things they never thought they could do, they just are able to do. And they call them evolutions. When you learn a task and you learn a skill set that is needed, and then you go to the next phase of training. And so this morning's evolution, if you will, or the skill set that must be acquired for us to shift from wanderers to warriors, from enlistment to engagement. Pastor, I'm saved. I know. That's enlistment. That's great. Now what are you doing for the kingdom of God? That's engagement. We got to go from being enlisted to being engaged. We got, to be, we got to go from being present to being participators. Amen? We got to get involved in this thing. We got to put our hands to something. The Bible tells us, we already read it in the scripture when we receive an offering, that everything I put my hand to, God's favor is upon me to make it work for myself. So moving from enlistment to engagement. Let's look at our scripture. You said, Pastor, that's the longest introduction I've ever heard in my entire life. I agree. But I felt like I have to set the tone for where we're, we're trying to go. And I just feel like there's times along the way that i got to communicate to you as pastor. And I just got to say to you where we're at and where I feel like we're at and where God's trying to take us because that's the only way we're going to get there. You know, He has a lamp unto our feet. He tells us where we are. He has a light unto our path. He tells us where we're going. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. Entire series of empowerments about being spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-directed. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another. You see the tension. So that you do not do the things that you wish. Now, skip on down to verse 25. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. So clearly again in this scripture you see the tension expressed between the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit. In order to become the warriors needed to possess what is before us, we have to choose between the tensions correctly. We have to choose and decide daily, maybe even moment to moment, that we are going to choose to walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh. You have the capability and the power to do that. Every person in the room has the capability and the power to do that. The Spirit of God will empower you to make the right choice. You just have to have a heart willing to do it. Now let's read it again from the message. It's on the screen if you don't have that version. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. My counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. How do we live free? We live freely freely by being animated and motivated by the Spirit of God. He has to be the one to direct us. And so we're always in alignment with God. We're always in alignment with His ways. We're not operating outside of Him. We're operating in Him. Live freely, animated and motivated by by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. That's good. Verse 17. For there is a root of selfishness, 
of self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit. So I've got my nature, my sinful nature, and in that nature there's just this root of self-interest. I'm, I'm, I'm looking out for number one. But that's at odds with the Christian life. Miss April was saying this morning, she felt that, the, that in our prayer time that God was saying that we have to have a culture here that is a heavenly culture. There has to be a shift from a worldly culture to a heavenly culture. Well, in other words, we can't think like the world thinks and expect God to work in our lives. We've got to think like God thinks and operate like God operates so that God can do what He does through us. And so we have to take that root out. Now it says, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness, these two ways of life are antithetical. So that you cannot live, I love this, you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day. <laughs> That's good. That's just getting right down there where we're living, isn't it? I mean, you know, some days I just feel like I don't want to do it this way. And, and another day I feel like, man, I'm all in. I'm all in for God today. I'm just going to serve Him. I'm going to live for Him. And He says, look, you can't do that. You can't live in two worlds at the same time. These things are opposed to one another. You're tearing yourself apart because you've not made a commitment to one way or the other. Verse 25, since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implications in every detail of our lives. Not in word only, but in the power. Not in word only, but in the power. Make sure it's not just an idea. You know, it's a nice idea, right? Church is a nice idea. I, I go to church and I, and I do what I need to do and then God says, oh, he did good and now I'm going to make it to heaven because of that. That's an idea. That's not the kingdom of God really being lived out in, in our everyday lives. I mean, God gave us more than that. He gave us more uh, influence than that. He gave us more power than that. And he wants us to exercise that power in this world. It's about bringing his kingdom down to this earth. That means, verse 26, that we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. And so here's a defining truth that I taught on Wednesday night. Is that you cannot serve your own self-interest and also be a follower of Christ Jesus. You can't do it. You can't serve your own self-interest and also call yourself a follower of Christ. It's either one or the other. It can't be both. You have to make up your mind that I'm either going to serve my own interest or I'm going to serve my Jesus and I'm going to follow Him. Verse 17 again says, There's a sinful root of self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit. These two ways of life are antithetical so that you cannot... Somebody say it with me. Cannot... You cannot live at times one way and at other times another way according to how you feel on any given day. One neglects the other. One diminishes the other. And so either my self-interest, my pursuit of self-interest diminishes my following of Christ Jesus or my following of Christ Jesus does away with the root of self-interest in my heart. It starts to make me realize that's not important. 
but following Him and following after Him. Doing what He's got in mind for me is the journey that I'm on. Pastor Caleb said it last week. Stephen Furtick said it first. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. And that's a good statement. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. It's about going and advancing every day. I don't have to be perfect, but I have to make progress. I don't have to be everything just right in my life, but I have to be getting better. I don't have to, you know, I've got to be making some advancement. I've got to be doing something that that shows up. I am becoming. I'm always becoming. I'm always be- that's the journey of the Christian is that we're always becoming. What am I becoming today, Father? What are you making me to be today, Father? What are you working in my life today? I'm always becoming more. And so let me talk to you about three tensions real quickly. I promise quickly. Three tensions that we have to choose rightly between in this life. And really, if, if you want to get down to it, it, is either having a paradigm of the kingdom or a paradigm of the world. And what we see in the, in, in the church world today is that the paradigm of the world, the construct of thought of the world has infiltrated the church so that it has become a consumer-minded congregation rather than a service-driven congregation. One tension I think that limits us from moving from wanderer to warrior is the tension between being entertained or engaged. Think about it. Are you here to be entertained or are you here to be engaged? That's a strong question. And it's not one that I'm posing, it's one that I'm asking to all of us, okay? I'm asking myself, am I here to be entertained or am I here to be engaged? Did you come to service to be excited or empowered? It's a mental shift that has to take place in the minds of the believer. The children of Israel go back to the story in the wilderness came with the mentality that they were to be entertained by Moses. That he was there, that his purpose was there to make them comfortable and provide for them their wants. They didn't sow. They didn't plant. They did nothing to provide for their needs. They simply looked at Moses to take care of them. It's easy for us to get the mindset each week, I can't There's nothing wrong with these statements on their own. But they are indicators of a mentality that's not correct. It's easy to get the mindset each week. I can't wait to see what God is going to do. I'm ready to hear a great sermon this morning. I'm ready for what God has in store for me. How many times have we all said those kinds of statements? And here's what I want you to see. Do you see that that line of thinking and approach to church is an entertain me mentality? Let me help you make the shift here from entertainment to engagement. We say, can't wait to see what God is going to do. God says, I can't wait to see what my kids are going to do. We say, we're ready to hear a good sermon. And God says, I'm ready to see a good sermon preached and lived out in the lives of my children. We say, we're ready to see what God has for me. And God says, I'm ready to see what my people bring to me. From entertainment to engagement. We say we're ready to see what God has for us. And God says, look, I'm ready to see what you got for me. We're not here to be entertained, church. We are here to be engaged. 
And I'm asking you this morning to start to cross over the line. Go beyond being entertained to being fully and totally engaged in what God is doing. Another tension. Another tension is between serve us or service. Serve us or service. Did you come for service for the kingdom? Or did you come so the kingdom of God might serve us? Again, the children of Israel in the wilderness were very concerned about their needs. They were always looking to Moses to meet their needs. Looking to God for him to meet their needs. And here's the thing is when those needs weren't met in the way that they expected it, it was always responded to with a threat. Feed us or we're going back to Egypt. Give us water or we won't follow you anymore. It's too hot. It's too cold. My feet hurt. How much further, Moses? Are we there yet? The slogan of the wilderness wanderer is, or the complacent, if you will, is always serve us. It's always serve us. Pastor, you just don't understand my need. I don't, but God does. And here's what I would say to you is that if you will get out of your own self-interest and get out of your own way and just serve the Lord in the capacity that God's asking you to serve Him without excuse and without any other thing in the way, that I promise you your need will be taken care of. When you meet the mission of God, God meets your need. When you follow after the mission of Christ, God meets your need. I can't tell you in ministry how many times I've heard this from people. Well, when this gets taken care of in my life, then I'll do what God's asking me to do. No, no, no. That's not the way this works. When you do what God's asking you to do, then God will take care of your need. Service or serve us. And I think here's the biggest issue with the serve us mentality is it promotes selfishness. It promotes a self-serving paradigm of thought. And here's the biggest issue is that it ultimately gives us permission for everything to become optional. How much time do I got? I don't want to run everybody out of here this morning. It gives us the permission for everything to become optional. There are a lot of things. Now listen, I'm for you. (laughs) This is heavy, I know, this morning. But I'm for you. I'm for us. It's not you. It's us. It's us. There are a lot of things that are optional in our minds that are not optional in God's mind. Church attendance may be optional for you, but it's not optional in God's mind. Tithing is not an option in God's mind. Faithfulness is not an option in God's mind. Integrity is not an option in God's mind. But when we serve our own self-interest in everything, we give ourselves permission for everything to become optional. Well, I don't feel like it. It's any given day today, God, and I don't feel like it today. I'm going to serve my own self-interest this morning. It's a little foggy today. Well, God, there's Super Bowls on today, and i got all this stuff to do today. And so I'm not going to serve you today. I'm not going to be a follower today for you, but I'm going to just serve my own self-interest today. It's not an option in God's mind. 
Well, God, we had some bills come up that I didn't expect. I had a plumber. My house blew up this last week. And we had some stuff that just got messed up. And so this week, God, I'm going to serve my own self-interest and I'm not going to tithe because I need to pay this bill and I'm not going to give you what belongs to you. I'm going to trust to meet my own need instead of trusting to God to take care of my need. And so this week, it's optional. Will you look at the open church list? Because I think we may need it. My preaching this morning. Integrity is not an option. Steve was telling me this, that he has a friend that runs one of the auto parts stores. And he has on a daily basis people that go and they'll buy a polish or whatever. They use half of the bottle... And then they bring it back and want a refund. And O'Reilly's is the place. They make them take it back because they want the customer to be satisfied. And so everybody knows what's going on. Guy goes and he gets polish. It's $20. He gets the best polish, of course. I mean, you know, only the best for my car. And so uses it and then brings it back and gets a refund. How many people today on Super Bowl Sunday went and bought a 70-inch TV with the understanding that the next Monday they're taking that sucker back? Integrity. I'm talking about integrity this morning. It's not an option in God's mind. I don't pick it up one day and lay it down the next day depending on how I feel and what I want. It's something I live with every single day of my life or I don't live with it at all. Amen. Good Lord. Can I just keep on here for a second? Something I see that just drives me crazy. This is just a soapbox moment, okay? Is people saying on Facebook, well, I love this church because they got a lot of options to worship. Oh, my goodness. I love all these options to worship. Listen, I'm not against that. I think that's a good trend. I think we ought to have multiple services. Someday I want to have multiple services here to meet the needs of people. The problem I have is the idea that it's an option. I have many options to worship. What, I know that many people are just saying they have many opportunities. That's what they're really saying. That's really their heart. But that mindset, that consumerism mindset that says I have a lot of options to worship. When did the worship become about us? That's my question. When did, when did worship become about us and not about the person? The object of the worship. You don't have a lot of options to worship. You have maybe a lot of opportunities, but you don't have a lot of options. You've got to do that. God expects that from you. Worship's not optional. It's a duty. It's a responsibility. It's what I owe God because of what He did for me. I think it's a, a good deal. It's the difference between a service mentality and a service mentality. What can the church do for me versus what can I do for the church? So I'm asking you to make the shift. We're not here to be served. We're here to serve. I said we're not here to be served. We're here to serve. The last tension. This is quick. Are we here to be elated or elevated? Is the church about feeling good or about being changed? I want everybody in this room to feel good when you leave the church. Don't get me wrong. It's important to me that you feel like you've been to church. I like that. There's nothing wrong 
with coming in and feeling better like a weight's been lifted off of your shoulders and all of that stuff. But we need the encounter with God that leaves us feeling invigorated. I'm for that. But that cannot, listen to me, that cannot be the ultimate measure of our relationship with God. And the ultimate measure of our church experience cannot be that I felt good when I left. The ultimate measure of those things are the fruit we bear in our everyday life. If you read in the gaps between the texts that I gave you, Galatians 5.22 and 23, it says, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Feeling good has to be a benefit to our church experience, not the goal of it. Burnett, Texas, and as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us after Rivers.